but add them. Some more exciting answers to the baffling and intriguing questions of science. Up and at him. Science on FBI. Dr. Alice Williamson in the studio, as she always does, in the midst of National Science Week. And we're diving into a story about, well, you've probably heard the phrase drinking like a fish. Turns out that could be pretty bang on with this new research. Alice. Well, yes, yeah, certainly for the cases of goldfish and their wild relatives, the Crucian carp. <laughs> um, most of us know that, you know, without oxygen, we don't survive for very long, not not much longer than a few minutes for, for humans and most other species. But Crucian carp can survive for five months, um, up to five months, underwater that it's been sealed by ice and is very low in oxygen or, you know, has no oxygen left. And people have been wondering, you know, how are they managing this uh, pretty neat trick um, throughout the winter months? And it turns out it's because they have... Um, a double set of genes that allow them to break down carbohydrates in in a couple of different ways. So um, most animals um, have a, a set of proteins, these enzymes, that when um, uh, we consume carbohydrates, these enzymes can break down these carbohydrates uh, to give energy that goes to these mitochondria in our cells, which are these so-called the powerhouses of the cell that give us energy. Um, and in oxygen, these break down into uh, byproducts like carbon dioxide and water. But when there isn't enough oxygen around, um, they break down and they form lactic acid. And sometimes this is what we experience when if you go for a run and you get cramp, this is you know a buildup of lactic acid in your muscles because of this anaerobic breakdown of sugar. Um, but if this lactic acid builds up to too high concentrations, it's really toxic. It causes um, all of the body to become acidic and it's really dangerous. But these little fish have a, another set of enzymes and if there isn't enough oxygen around, what they can do is they can take this toxic byproduct, lactic acid, and using a trick that's similar to brewer's yeast, um, they can break down this molecule into alcohol and then secrete this through their gills into the water. Wow! So they're basically getting rid of a really toxic, nasty byproduct uh, by, you know, turning it into something um, alcoholic. So when we're talking alcohol, what are the what are the levels? Well, this is the the really interesting thing I thought. So after a little while, so the the levels of alcohol build up because at at the at the start, as this uh, icy layer grows over the top of the water, the oxygen levels are pretty much similar to you know without this seal, but the the oxygen levels start to decrease, and as the oxygen levels decrease. The fish produce more and more of this um, ethanol, this alcoholic byproduct, and it turns out that at some parts of the winter, the the fish's blood alcohol concentration is greater than fifty milligrams per hundred uh, millimeters, which is the New South Wales limit for drink driving. <laughs> so, if these fish could drive a car, uh, they'd be in trouble if they tried. They'd be trolled, wouldn't they? Yeah. So, um, they do say that they um, behave. They're a little bit slow because they're, you know pretty much under the influence for, for most of this these winter months. But um, this is, you know, a great survival adaptation that probably happened about um, 8 million years ago um, through a process called whole genome duplication, where they ended up with a, an extra set of proteins that could adapt to do a different function. Um, and it's really quite a nifty survival trick because there aren't uh, well there, there may be other species that survive in this way but it means that um they're the dominant fish in these in these uh, 
bodies of water so they don't have to compete with others for food and there aren't any predators around so this ability to break down lactic acid into ethanol is giving them this evolutionary advantage how aren't the fish dying from that level of alcohol consumption or production well it turns out that they end up um dying from uh, because they because they're taking in nutrients that's stored in their liver, they actually end up dying rather from uh, a lack of that um, energy. So when it runs out, rather before they die of you know um, alcohol poisoning. So I think I think it must just be that the energy they're surviving on runs out before they get too intoxicated. How could this research help with the study of the alcohol impact or the impact of alcohol? Sorry, in humans. Well, um, I guess. First of all, this is a way of studying how a species can adapt to anoxia, so an absence of oxygen. But it could also um, help us to understand different ways that we could break down molecules into alcohol and maybe study, you know, what the long term effects of uh, different fish species living, you know, with very high alcohol concentrations and see if this could give us any insights into humans. But really, I think this research is quite uh, interesting because of this this really novel um, pathway, this this duplication in these genes, which has given them this rather unusual and quite cool trick. Yeah, what do you think that says about, you know, evolutionary adaption, the fact that they have been doing this process for millions of years? Well, it means they might have been sozzled for, you know, for, for millions upon millions of years. So, you know, maybe this is a bit of a clue as to why it's quite difficult to, um, uh, you know, to kill a goldfish. They, they're pretty hardy creatures, aren't they, if you, if you um, have one as a pet. So perhaps these these adaptation skills are why they're quite so, uh, you know, quite so happy to, to, to hang around. Finally, do you know how long it would take to produce an alcoholic beverage from I, the fish? I do, because the researchers, um, being good scientists with a, you know, a healthy appetite for research, have actually done the maths on this. And they said that if they were, in theory, to take a goldfish, to place it in a pint glass and to seal this pint glass... Um, in about 200 days, there would be a 4% alcohol content, which is about the same of most uh, general beers. So you have to wait a little bit of time. It might be easier to pop down to the bottle. <laughs> Alice Williamson in the studio for Up and Adam. And something that we've touched on recently is organ donations. The list is very long of people waiting for these. And new research could show that we can get them from alternate sources that we might not expect. Alice... Yeah, this is some research. So for a while, people have been um, thinking about uh, where we could possibly get other human organs. And one of the ideas is to have organ donation from pigs. So to grow human organs within pigs that could then be harvested on schedule. Um, patients could you know know when the organ would be ready for the transplant so they could have their operation scheduled rather than waiting for um, often quite a tragic uh, accident where you know where that provides a donor um, and uh, this has been you know something that research has been looking at for a while and pigs seem to be a pretty good candidate for a few reasons but one of them being that the organ sizes would grow to about the right size for a human but um, you know, probably unsurprisingly, there are a few problems with, with trying to do this, a few difficulties. And a couple of the things scientifically that have been, um, you know, cited as the biggest difficulties here 
are one is the the idea of this immune response so when a human receives an an organ from an, another human um often a, a human can reject that organ and they will have to take anti-rejection medicine for the rest of their life mm. because the 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 donated organ triggers an immune response in the person who's receiving the organ because they recognize that this organ is not a part of their body and one can imagine that if the organ had been you know inside a a body that wasn't a human body that this immune response could be even crazier so that's one of the problems and the second problem is that uh, pig genomes um, have quite a few sequences of dna um, of viruses that they think could infect human cells so you don't want to be you know giving um, an organ to somebody and also giving them uh, viral dna that could cause um, a number of diseases perhaps even cancer and there's not there's still a bit of debate as to whether these cause these problems in humans but until we know that they don't it's a bit of something we need to sort out so what this research has done is it's used um, CRISPR a gene editing technology that we've talked about um, quite a bit before and I'm sure we'll talk about a, a lot again because it's really changing lots of things in science to edit um, pig genes to remove these um, viruses which are, are called porcine endogenous retroviruses or PERVs so they can remove these these viruses or these these strands of DNA and therefore inactivate the viruses and that's you know a pretty cool thing to have been able to do. How did they eliminate those to then conduct the research? So what they have to do first of all is map the the pig genome so that they understand where all of these sequences of DNA occur and then they can go in and you know have a look at, at where to cut them and they use this CRISPR gene editing te- technique to go in and snip out these pieces of DNA and they identified 25 of these and, and have managed to remove them and the next stage of this research is the one that you know has just been published is that uh, this group of scientists have managed to um, uh, they've reported the birth of 37 pigs that have been genetically engineered to have you know to not have these these pervs these these uh, viruses so there are 37 pigs that were born without these viruses and 15 of these pigs survived and so that's a promising first step for the idea of then you know perhaps growing human organs within these pigs in the absence of these potentially dangerous viruses wow we've talked to the ethical concerns of this kind of subject matter before what are some of the general concerns well there there is you know there are a few concerns as you mentioned there there are a lot of um ethical concerns there, um in terms of doing any sorts of gene editing technology particularly in this kind of research which is you know towards xenotransplants that's the idea of taking a tra- um, an organ from um a different species and transplanting it into another species um and some of the problems or some of the concerns with this particular type of research caused um the US to ban this kind of research in 2015 they only uh, you know started this again back in 2016 because people are worried about um, you know the idea of perhaps if you put human cells within uh, a pig do you boost the intelligence of that animal Uh. Um, could those cells develop into sperm cells or egg cells but these are the things that researchers you know are very careful to you know stop any of these things happening and often look at cells growing for a very short period of time before 
you know, before we'd get anywhere near to taking an organ to full term, for example. And people have done this research in mice and rats before. So there was a report, um, I think it was earlier this year, of an idea of, uh, of, of well, there's a report of an actual um, study where a group of scientists managed to grow um, a pancreas made of mouse cells inside a rat and then transplant the pancreas into a mouse and cure the mouse that received the pancreas of diabetes wow so this has been you know shown on a mat a, a mat a, a rat mouse that's the <laughs> that's the hybrid a mat a, a rat mouse scale but n- certainly not you know between pigs and humans just yet but it's a it's a really important area of research if we think about you know ways that you know the the paucity of these organs and the fact that lots of people need um organs so if we could think about a way in the future to safely grow these organs inside pigs then i think it could be you know a real real advance for science yeah could we expect this soon or i think it might be quite a while because this is you know the first stage they have these knockout pigs that don't have these viruses there have been other research where teams of researchers have looked at um looking at the genes in in pigs that produce molecules that could attack a host organ so they've looked at removing these and researchers have managed to remove these genes but one of the things that you know from reading about this research has been that um it's it's one of these cases where the the team who've led this research with the pigs are experts in crispr experts in gene editing rather than experts in xenotransplantation so rather than this idea of 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 taking transplants from different species so now the next stage will be for these researchers to come together and to share you know all the things that they've learned from both sides and probably with many other teams of researchers to see if they can iron out any of their issues and come to some sort of agreement so i think it'll be a little while yet but one of the things that's that's certainly true is that um the first um, stage of of removing one of these genes that coded for um, a protein that produced anti-rejection molecules. That took about three years to do. Um, and now with CRISPR gene editing technology, it takes about six months. So Ooh. it's been sped up, you know, sixfold and it might even get quicker. So it means that we'll get to some of those answers about whether or not we can do this much more quickly, I think. Alice Williamson with freaky but fascinating information this morning on Up and Atom. You can always check out these stories if you head to fbiradio.com slash podcast and click the Up and Atom link or wherever you get your podcasts from. Alice, we'll catch you next week. See you next week. This was produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. fbiradio.com.